live from beyond the beltway this is bruce dumont with our weekly analysis of national politics featuring occasional injections of rumor and innuendo all offered up by our panel of political insiders pundits power brokers public servants professors and most importantly plain speaking americans from coast to coast tonight featuring commentary by democratic businessman patrick hanley former Illinois lawmaker and conservative leader, Jeannie Ives, libertarian from the Acton Institute in Grand Rapids, Michigan, Eric Cohn, and Andrew Polk, KTSM El Paso, Texas, a reporter who will talk about what's happening at the border. And in our second hour, we will be joined by economist, uh, DePaul University's economist, Mike Miller, who joins us from the great state of Washington. Our phone lines are open at 1-800-723-8029. We do this program from our home base at AM560. Uh, that's uh, Salem Radio, WYND, the talk in Chicago. That's just outside uh, the city of Chicago. Nice to have you with us this evening. We've got a full... Uh, uh, full agenda of things to talk about. We're going to talk about politics and what's happening at the border in hour number one, and we're going to get into the economy and some of the issues involving uh, bank failures in the United States uh, with Mike Miller in hour number two. But I want to begin by ABC this morning uh, on the George Stephanopoulos show. They came out with the newest ABC poll on presidential preferences, and this was this was a poll of Democrats, and the question was. Who should the Democrats nominate in 2024? The president got 36% of those Democrats for him. 58% said someone else. They didn't put a name on it. Anybody else. And six people had no opinion. And uh, I want to... I want to come back to our in-studio mm-hmm. Democrat, sure. who is Patrick Hanley. And Patrick, my question to you is, you're a Democrat. Yes. Uh, how do you feel about those polls? And at least George Stephanopoulos and uh, uh, this morning on the show, they thought these were pretty devastating for the president. Do you, view, do you view them as devastating? No, I don't view them as devastating. And look, we're pretty far out from the election. We're pretty far out from the primary process as well, although the president has, of course, announced his re-election Uh, Joe Biden tells us time and time again, we all know this, we can all repeat it, don't compare me to the almighty, compare me to the alternative. And I think that is the way that he has been running his political career over the last 10 years. And without an alternative, uh, I think even Democrats are taking a look at at President Biden and saying, this guy is, you know, he's getting on an age. That's just just the truth. Jeannie, uh, of those 58% Democrats, do you think any of them are possible supporters of a Republican nominee? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think the Democrats are waking up to what the Biden agenda has meant for them in their own individual lives. And that's where we have to go with this. And they they don't like what they see on the horizon when they go to the grocery store. They're faced by the same stuff. I think the unfairness of the Biden administration is coming full scale. I mean, the fact that you're going to penalize people that have been responsible borrowers and have higher credit scores and have them subsidize borrowers who don't have that same sort of proclivity and probably will default eventually on a home loan. I mean, just the height, it's a height of unfairness. The height of unfairness, yeah. and that's all you get from this administration. And I think your, your regular Democrats, I mean, it takes a few cycles for them to say, eh, I'm gonna switch out of parties. Switching out of your party is really difficult, but a lot more people are looking at what has happened with Biden and they're done. 
Eric Cohen, I want to bring you into the conversation from Grand Rapids, Michigan, the Acton Institute. Uh, what's your take on this poll? Is it is it too early to put too much significance in it, as uh, has been suggested by Patrick? I think Patrick is right about that. Um, I remember all of these polls uh, in Republican primary where the same candidate would always come out leading, and that candidate was somebody by the name of Generic Republican. And <laughs> Generic Republican never really shows up in most of these races. Uh, so I think at this point early on, this is a way that people are voicing their dissatisfaction for a whole host of different reasons. Yeah. I think in that 58%, you've got people who are unhappy with some of the things that Jeannie was talking about, but you also have people who are unhappy that the Biden administration has not been more progressive, like if yeah. Bernie Sanders had mm -hmm. been the president of the United States. The reality, though, is that most of those voters are going to come home. And for what Jeannie was talking about, the possibility of any of them possibly becoming Republican voters in the general election, there is one surefire way to guarantee that none of them or almost none of them will do that. And that is for the Republican Party to nominate Donald Trump again. Now, one of the other things that came out of the ABC poll this morning was a head to head between Donald Trump and uh, President Biden. And in that one, let's take a look at these uh, poll numbers. 49% uh, said they would vote for Donald Trump, and 42% would vote for Biden. Now, this was not exclusively Democrats. This was both right. Democrats and Republicans. Mm -hmm. And also, uh, if the race were between Ron DeSantis and Joe Biden, DeSantis leads 48% to Biden's 41%. And in the matchup for, well, who who wins that Republican primary between Trump and DeSantis, uh, it had this result in, again, this was Republican primary voters. Trump got 43 percent. DeSantis was way back at 20 percent. Mm -hmm. Ten percent of the people said others and 27 percent had no opinion. Mm -hmm. And there's, you know, there's three or four Republicans out there either in or about to get in and uh you know, between the others and the 27 percent, 37 percent, that's a large number to, that's a large gap to fill in, Jeannie. Yeah, no, I mean, so here's the thing about polls, right? They're, they're not really that trustworthy. I mean, if, if anybody followed the Chicago election, Vallis was up, Vallis was up, and then he loses to, to you know, the socialist, um, Johnson, um, Brandon Johnson. So, I mean, it, it's the same thing with the other polls. I mean, everybody thought it was going to be a red wave in 2022. That never materialized either. So mm -hmm. it's really too early to count on these polls one way or another. Uh, people, are, and, and also it's like, are you dealing with likely voters or just right. the entire voter universe? The, there's a lot of nuance to these polls, and they're, they're, I just don't think that you can trust what's coming out of them, quite frankly. Patrick, if the, if the big issue, which according to polls, all polls, is there's concern about his age. Sure. So you're a young man. He's an old man. Yes. I'm an old man. So the question is, how do you change someone's perception about age and agility and the ability to, to compete and stand on your feet? That's a really interesting question. And I would say that I think what we're going to see from the Biden administration is using the cabinet secretaries, who I think do an excellent job, who are young, articulate, thoughtful, and smart, people like Gina Raimondo at Commerce, people like Pete Buttigieg at Transportation. I think there's going to be a heavy use of surrogates on the campaign trail to remind voters that we're not just voting for President Biden, we're voting for a whole team of really qualified people. And by the way, look at how they compare to the other guys. Well, it's interesting but, yeah, but, you didn't mention Mayorkas. But yeah. There you go. Yeah. How, how, do you, uh, how does that fit, however, in a, in a narrative that we've just seen unfold in the last 24 hours, 
and that is, uh, you know, the King of England, the King of England is being crowned, and the President of the United States doesn't go there. I mean, the way well, I read no. the way the way I read that is, he couldn't. He doesn't have the stamina. No, no, no. To do everything that had to be done at a coronation. I want to get Eric's response, and then we're going to go back. Go ahead. Okay. Yeah, Eric first. Eric. Well, I don't. Uh, I think it's certainly a reality that Joe Biden is. Uh, he's up there in age, and I think he's showing that. Um, but I think what to, to what Patrick said earlier, though, the reality is people are going to vote for one of two presidential candidates, and I don't think they're going to care a whole heck of a lot about who the cabinet secretaries are. Most yeah. voters probably couldn't name most of them anyway, so it's going to be a one versus one at the end of the day. We've got to pause. One eight hundred seven two three eighty twenty nine. Your reaction to the big poll about Joe Biden, 58% of the Democrats say you want somebody else. Are you in that 58%? At Jersey Mike's, you can elevate any sub by getting the juice. Red wine vinegar and an olive oil blend. It's how a Jersey Mike sub gets its exquisite zing and how bites get boosted. The juice adds a certain something extra, an exclamation on top of the freshly sliced meats and toppings, the kind of exclamation you can eat. Order Jersey Mike's subs on our mobile app and get delivery right to your home or pick up from your nearest Jersey Mike's sub location. Jersey Mike's, be a sub above. Going back to school as a working adult doesn't mean you have to sacrifice a high-quality education. Purdue University, a top 10 public university, took its innovative thinking to a new level when it created Purdue University Global for working adults. Discover innovative, practical ways to earn your degree online and advance your career. Purdue Global has already awarded more than 1 million credits for prior learning, which means you can save nearly half the cost of your bachelor's. See how close you are to finishing your degree at purdueglobal.edu. That's purdueglobal.edu. This is the story of a very special woman. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician or an entrepreneur. Her knowledge was limitless and still is. She could also make monsters disappear, especially those that lurked in the shadows under the bed. Once, this woman put back together a teenage girl's broken heart, which had been shattered in a thousand pieces, just by giving her a bear hug. She masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources, at aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. When it comes to vaping, the truth can get clouded. So let's make it clear. Vaping is not safe for kids, teens, or young adults. It's just not. Because vaping can put microscopic particles into your lungs. And dangerous things like metals and volatile organic compounds into your body. And nicotine, the same highly addictive substance found in regular cigarettes. Nicotine can harm a person's brain development through their mid-20s. Affecting learning, memory, attention, and impulse control. And priming the brain for other addictions. Vaping products also come in kid-friendly flavors that can make them appealing to youth. And many kids also use other drugs, like marijuana, in vaping devices. With appealing flavors, high nicotine levels, and lots of promotion on social media... Many kids think vaping is harmless, but it's not. So talk to your kids about the risks of vaping, because when you talk, they hear you. 
For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. Okay, well, it's, I'm not worried about climate change one bit. One bit. That was Jeannie Ive saying she doesn't care about I'm climate not worried change about one climate bit. Change. Well, that was on the air. Tough I just wanted to clarify that oh, okay, that great. was not... Uh, that was not Patrick Hanley that said that. Yeah, thank you. Uh, I would like to ask this uh, question to, uh, to Eric Cohn, who joins us uh, from uh, Grand Rapids, Michigan. Eric, look at the issue of abortion. Will it sink the Republicans next year? And look at the issue of transgender rights. Is that an issue that could sink the Democrats next year? Your response. Boy, there's a lot of things that we don't know yet. I, I don't. Uh, I think we've seen the impact, at least the initial impact, of abortion as an issue. Now that it is uh, that it was on the ballot in a lot of places here, it was in Michigan. Uh, it was very much on the ballot in 2022. Um, there's a whole lot left yet to be seen. Like, what's the famous saying? Events, dear boy, events. Uh, there'll be a lot of events between now and next year uh, when this election is held. So it's, I think, a little hard to say. I do think that um, there are Democrats who are going to be dragged down by the transgender issue. I, I think the way that, uh, I think both parties and both political sides have a way of talking about this in the worst way possible. Uh, but I think the impact of that comes uh, much harsher for the Democrats than it does for uh, for the Republicans. Mm -hmm. uh, let's go back to, to Patrick. Patrick, how would you describe the Democratic position on, tra on transgender rights? We are firmly committed to all marginal communities expressing whatever identity it is that they choose. And we're firmly committed to stopping Republicans from weaponizing individuals, human beings, and coming after them for their choices. Does that include, where, where do you come down on the issue of, of uh, transgender women who compete as men in athletic I think I think we can be completely reasonable about this and Which look is, at these what is that and reasonable? look at these on a case by case basis. I think there are plenty of cases when trans men should not be competing with women. I think there are many cases uh, where that might not be true. I think we need to look at these on an individual basis and not take the entire issue, extrapolate it, and try and demonize an entire class of people, which the Republican Party does time and time again. Let's let's remember trans is coming after gay, which is coming after black, which is coming after, I mean, every single time there's a, a Republican push to take a group of people who are vulnerable and turn them into a campaign issue uh, by way of hurting them. And I think this is just one more in a long line of demonization. Do you think that your position is a majoritarian position uh, at the ballot box? Yes, definitely. You do? Definitely. definitely. I think America, the American people believe in freedom. They believe in individuality. They believe in your right to express yourself. And at the end of the day, that's what this issue is about. Jeannie Ives, mm -hmm. what is the Republican position on transgender rights? Well, uh, the, obviously, we believe that after the age of 18, after the age of majority, you're free to go ahead and, you know, if you want to change your body parts out, go ahead and change your body parts out. Absolutely, 100% opposed to it, and as you've seen in many red states, to anybody doing that to a child. It is, um, it is mutilation. It is devastating physically, and it's wrong. And the other part of this is, like, parents have a right to know. So even in, you know, some of what you would consider conservative school districts, you have, you have gender-affirming programs that allow a child to pretend to be a sex that they are not against the parents' wishes without the parents knowing. And so you, this is a parental rights issue as well. 
It is a safety issue for children, and, and Republicans are firmly on the side of protecting minors against any of these horrific acts that doctors would perform that do not have long-term good outcomes for them. Um, but it's interesting how Patrick play, plays this thing, saying that um, it is their side that is for the individual, their side that, or that is the Republicans that want to play off particular rights groups against each other. That is not true. It's their side. It's the Democrats who continually just raise up one particular uh, grievance group after another grievance group. And, and then also this conflation that the, the black and the slavery issue is equivalent to a trans right issue is just utter nonsense, utter nonsense. And anybody who would conflate the two is not dealing with reality. And honestly, the, the, the bottom line is that, you know, you've got, um, you've got just craziness coming out of legislatures. In, in Illinois, for example, they just decided to change all the state statutes to gender, gender neutral. They just decide to tell insurance companies that all persons must have the ability to have a pap smear or a prostate exam. When we know, biologically speaking, that is insanity. You actually can't do that. So this is how far that they will take it. And the most people in America know that it's nonsense. Eric, what is the libertarian position on transgender rights? Uh, like with any issue uh, there, uh, if you get 10 libertarians in a room, you'll get 15 different arguments. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, it's very difficult to say that there's any one position on it. Um, I'll speak what about for yours? myself and say, I'll speak for myself and I'll say that um, uh, kind of as Jeannie said, once somebody's over the age of majority, the things that they want to do are the things that they want to do. And I think a lot of what gets caught up in conversations about political correctness and all of that, it some cases is just about manners. If somebody wants to be called something or yeah. not called something, then it's generally polite to call them or not call them what they want to be called or not called. Where this gets very thorny, particularly for the people on Patrick's side of the aisle, uh, when it, is when it comes to children and when it comes to uh, issues of what is taught in schools. And that very much is, I agree with Jeannie, a parental rights issue. And um, I, I think the position of the left and the Democratic Party is going to be an unpopular one to the extent that they uh, continue to insist that children under the age of majority uh, should be able to make these decisions and that the parents are cut out. That's not going to be a popular position. Patrick, do you see, do you see this as a, as a uh, parent rights issue as well? I think it's really important that you balance parents' rights with the safety of the people that are making these decisions. And I, I think it's really important to be clear that when we're talking about surgery, these are vanishingly small examples. We're talking on like one hand. And you've got to imagine, similar to reproductive health, the situations that these people are in, that Republicans want to come in and pass laws and prevent people from making decisions that are in very specific situations. And oftentimes in the trans community, decisions around uh, medical transition are life and death decisions. And we know that the rate of suicide in the trans community is is far, far higher than outside of it. And and, and it's why is just that? as high. It stays why, just as high even that? after transition. I think it, I think it has a lot that? to do with social opprobrium. I think it has a lot to do with living in a society that is incredibly heteronormative and makes it very difficult for them to live their lives. Republican policies across many states now are going to make that even worse, make that even harder. But in the in the hetero community, a lot of people in the hetero community are at a point when they read the newspapers and watch television, they're saying, 
Everything is transgender rights. Wherever I turn, I'm hearing the issue transgender rights. And, and I've never met anybody who's gone through the transition. I don't know anything about this. But again, the media seems to make this a dominant issue yeah. that's discussed at every dinner table yeah, and, in America. And you can thank Fox News for that. I think this is a, oh. a conservative oh, no, 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 no. bugaboo. No. This is something no. that Republicans are completely obsessed with, and they're playing for political <laughs> points. They're trying to demonize a small population of people that many people have never met. They're trying to paint a caricature of these people and then shove them down Americans' throats to, to that try is and score absolutely what is not happening. Gene, that is 100% what is not happening. What's happening is the left is trying to shove that oh type of ideology down into the school systems where you would have a trans uh, person rooming on an overnight field trip with a, a, a somebody of the opposite sex. Nobody wants that. No parent agrees with that. They don't want it in their locker rooms. They don't want it on their sports teams. And by the way, it's not Fox News who developed the entire um, Bud Light commercial thing that got a massive reaction negatively to that type of thing. So you, you know that the preponderance of people know that there are literally two biological sex. And honestly, it's really difficult to have a hard com a, a, a conversation with anybody who disagrees. That there is male and female. <laughs> kind of male card, and female. Genie? That's it. How can you have a conversation with anybody who cannot even understand biological oh reality? I, I, I have a hard Listen, time with I that agree one. there's a lot of prejudice still out there. Uh, but I think it's important for public you leaders can't your and for anybody in politics to to acknowledge folks who want to express themselves however they want to be, whatever gender they choose to uh, to participate in. I totally disagree. How, how should how should they do that though? I mean, if there's if there's someone who's 14 or 15 years old yeah. that whatever for whatever reason wants to transition to the different sex, yeah. what should the role of government be? in that person's decision pretty minimal with their parents pretty minimal bruce should it be with their parents do the parents have to be involved in it i think in 100%. the vast majority of cases parents will be involved parents will be involved school counselors will be involved faith leaders may be involved this is a big decision and the kids will know that and the, the communities will know that in the situations where parents are not involved there's likely very good reasons for that. Again, take this to the abortion issue. In the reasons for late-term abortions or awful abortions that folks have to go through later on in their pregnancies, uh, often the reason that parents aren't involved when they're not are because there may be a situation of abuse, right? There may, be, there may have been uh, domestic abuse in the household and reasons why those people could not tell their parents. So when you pass blankets, and I can't believe I'm telling this to a Republican, when the state passes these blanket rules that hurt, that hurt everyone, I mean, very specific people are getting hurt. Yes, it is. That's right. Uh, people, uh, women who want to compete in sports against other women and not have their trophies stolen oh my God. from biological men are getting hurt. I totally agree with you. There are people getting hurt in this conversation. Is it wrong for the Montana legislature not to admit a transgender to their body? Yes. Gina? Well, they that that person actually uh, took themselves out of the conversation by making egregious comments on the floor and then refusing to apologize. It just like I I sat through when a Democrat state rep rep in Illinois wished death on our colleague. She had was made to apologize before she could be you know basically put back on in open for debate. And this particular trans activist went too far. And she refused to, he, she, I don't even know. Uh, just refused use the proper to, pronoun. Refused, you know what it is. Refused to, I don't know. Actually, I don't know. No, no, no. I actually don't oh know God, if it news. was a he or a she or she or he. I don't know. I actually don't know. 
But regardless, refused to apologize. That's what the state rep was asked to do and refused to do it. We will be back. 1-800-723-8029. Got a good conversation going tonight on Beyond the Beltway. Join us. Bye, bench press. Adios, squat rack. Fare thee well, kettlebell. Hey, Kellen, need a spot? No, Jake from State Farm. I'm just saying goodbye to my pricey gym membership. What? Don't give up what you love. State Farm has options like insuring your home and ride with great rates on both. Nice. Hey, can I buy you a protein shake or a granola bar? Or... For surprisingly great rates, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Call or go to statefarm.com for a quote today. Going back to school as a working adult doesn't mean you have to sacrifice a high-quality education. Purdue University, a top 10 public university, took its innovative thinking to a new level when it created Purdue University Global for working adults. Discover innovative, practical ways to earn your degree online and advance your career. Purdue Global has already awarded more than 1 million credits for prior learning, which means you can save nearly half the cost of your bachelor's. See how close you are to finishing your degree at purdueglobal.edu. That's purdueglobal.edu. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> it's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. I'll be here to hear what's on your mind. Kids want to share what's going on in their lives with the adults around them. Parents, grandparents, teachers, coaches, and more. They want to know you're listening. And they want to listen to you. They want your input and guidance early and often on all kinds of topics. When it comes to a serious subject like underage drinking, they want to know your expectations, as well as how and why, as a young person, they should avoid alcohol. How you talk about it will change as your child grows, but the important thing is to talk about it. Not just once for an hour when you think the time is right, but in 60 one-minute conversations and more that are part of your everyday talks. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. Bruce Dumont back on Beyond the Beltway. Nice to have you with us this evening. And uh, uh, we are joined in this segment uh, by Andrew Polk. He's going to join us via phone. He is a reporter for KTSM. That's the Beyond the Beltway affiliate, longtime affiliate in El Paso, Texas. And uh, he's a talk show host down there, and he's been covering uh, what's been happening at the Mexican border for a long, long time. Andrew, nice to have you with us on Beyond the Beltway this evening. 
Thanks for inviting me back on, Bruce. Glad to be on the show. I'd like to know what what is El Paso doing to prepare for the the the, the dropping of the Title Forty Two this coming week. It's not so much a question of what is being done to prepare, but what is already going on in terms of a response. We are seeing uh, CBP numbers that have been released and passed through the city about releases in the community have been going up for some weeks already. In uh, south-central El Paso, an area most commonly known as Segundo Barrio, there are already some thousands of people, particularly centered around uh, a particular church and also some of the nonprofit organizations. There is talk of shelters being activated both by the county and the city government in our area. So it's kind of an evolving and rolling on response that is pretty much already in place. There's been issues involving people sleeping in the streets, uh, go crowding on sidewalks. Uh, DPS in our area, Department of Public Safety, Texas State Troopers, have been doing traffic operations on a a major highway that we often call the border highway that goes right along the U.S.-Mexico border and the border fence that exists in that area. So there's a lot of moving parts that have already begun going with this, though, when it comes to the actual May 11th state, the end of Title 42, as it is anticipated, there are a lot more preparations. Again, even shelters, a a couple of currently vacant uh, middle and elementary schools considering being used as kind of these mass shelters in order to deal with people, and also uh, transportation is another major focus of it. Some of the differences that you hear from coming across the country, I mean, in this past couple of weeks, there was a talk between the governor of Texas and the governor of Chicago, among other things, but transportation is one of the primary focuses for state and local governments in our area because... The initial claims of asylum and initial processing may happen in this area, but then moving out has been pretty much the common factor between both this situation and previous ones in terms of what the response entails. So kind of immediate physical needs, dealing with, you know, housing, food, shelter, temporarily, and then getting people on buses or even planes in some cases. The situation is that there's an estimated thirty to 40,000 people waiting right across the U.S.-Mexico border in a sister city of Ciudad Juarez, and that estimate's actually a little bit old at this point. So it may potentially be higher than that, but that's still the range we're about talking about. So dealing with what the consideration of that is going to be, those 1,500 federal troops that the Biden administration has said is going to be deployed starting as of May 10th, the day before. Of course, mm-hmm. the end of two is going to be primarily here in El Paso. So those are just... Now, but what are they going to be... A report that I read was that they were going to be involved in administrative paperwork. They weren't right. going to be involved in any, in any police activity. Is that true? That's our understanding as well, because as much as there have been, there's, again, a bunch of different layers to this. There's been Operation Lone Star. That is the state of Texas uh, effort under Governor Greg Abbott that has seen Texas National Guard members and even Texas Military Department members being able to do some kind of enforcement, mostly of like state-level trespassing, those kind of things. But when it comes to those federal troops that are talking about being deployed, some of which will be coming from other parts of the country, some are being activated from the local Fort Bliss itself. Yeah, they'll be doing the support duties, monitoring, transportation, so they will not be doing the law enforcement capacity is our understanding there. Of this new influx that's coming in uh, this coming week, uh how much of how much of that is going to be handled in Texas, or how much is there going to be an increase in sending these immigrants to faraway places, be it Chicago, New York, Los Angeles, or you name the city? Pretty much the latter. I mean, I can't speak for the entire U.S.-Mexico border, even in the part of Texas, but uh, mm-hmm. here in our local area, that is the primary focus. There's very little, if at all, resettlement efforts that undergo as part of this. I mean, uh, busing has been one of the previous, to go back about 
six months or so, end of last year, when there was the Title 42 was involved with that as well. Of course, the expected end of it at that point before there was kind of that whole pump fake and, you know, pulling of the football. This is now a very similar type of situation. What was happening back then is that there were even uh, buses being chartered by the county and city of El Paso in order to essentially keep things moving. So if there were resettlement efforts, they were the vast minority of what the efforts, at least in our region, are. And, of course, Governor Greg Abbott of Texas has made it very clear that he has been doing other kinds of busing efforts for a while now, so I would fully expect that to continue. Now, Governor Abbott was just recently reelected. Uh, is he? Is this move to move people to other cities? Is it still popular amongst Texans, or is there a liberal, conservative, Republican, Democrat split with Democrats and liberals? Uh, you know, trying to pound the governor on this decision. Oh, there's definitely a split on it. I mean, Governor Greg Abbott didn't necessarily explicitly said it, but it's been pretty clear that this is not so much a, hey, we got too much people to deal with and we got to you know, keep them moving on as it was to. I mean, the locations he was picking were very specific and intended for impact. So yeah. That has very much been a bit. For a specific example that I can give you, when it was being done, that there were buses multiple a day in some cases being chartered out of the city of El Paso and nearby areas. Uh, local leaders went out of their way to make it clear that this was being done because there was no space or capacity otherwise, as opposed to mm-hmm. any intention on the locations in which they were arriving, if that makes sense. There was a report last week that some of the immigrants who had been sent to the city of New York, uh, where the governor uh, or the, the mayor there is not happy, he's not happy with the Republicans and he's not happy with the president. Uh, basically, he feels he's been left you know, holding the bag on this. Uh, given that uh, New York City and the state are sanctuary states and cities, but there was a report that those that were that was put into the the, the judiciary system there, meaning they had to report to a judge at some point to to determine uh, their legitimacy in the country. They don't have uh, court dates until 2033. Have you heard that? And and how how can that be considered justice if you're trying to solve an issue? Uh, that is some of what I've been hearing. I mean, the amount of backlog in the system. And one common misconception actually about that is that these are judicial courts. They're not, actually. Mm-hmm. They are not full three courts. They okay. fall entirely under the executive branch, technically under the Department of Justice. We do call them judges and courtrooms, okay. but... They have very different procedures. And so uh, one of our local congressmen, also uh, Tony Gonzalez from the Texas 23rd Congressional District, was calling that instead of sending 1,500 troops to the border, they should send 1,500 judges in order to speed up this process. So, mm-hmm. I want to like, ask, uh, ask our, our guests, because I know they all want to have a comment for uh, Eric Cohn, you've been listening to this, and uh, you and I have discussed this issue on this program for you know the last probably five years. Uh, at this moment in time, what what do you think can be done to uh, at least to remediate some of these issues? There's a lot of things that should be done, but the question of what can be done when uh, Congress does not seem to want to do much about this issue, and uh, in most cases, both sides of the aisle seem to prefer to have this as a campaign issue rather than to address it in a meaningful way. I don't think a whole lot is going to be done. I, I think you know th- this title expiring. Uh, is necessary because it was a pandemic-related issue, Um, Congress needs to act. And until Congress acts, we're not going to get any kind of a resolution here. And the problem of politicians uh, not dealing seriously with the issue of immigration 
is that eventually unserious people will come along to deal with it. And I think that is most of what we have been enduring for the last five, six, seven years. Patrick, in your yeah. view, what is it that the Democrats can do? Or do you agree that uh, maybe a lot of Democrats really don't want the issue resolved? They want it as an issue. I really don't agree with that. I think that's a cynical approach. I really think that Democrats want this issue resolved in a humane way. I think we need to figure out immigration in this country. Many parts of the system are clearly under-resourced and broken. I completely agree with Eric. The Congress needs to act. In 2013, there was a bipartisan comprehensive immigration plan that Republicans scuttled. Every time the Democrats come to the floor with a new serious immigration plan, Republicans end up ditching it. But what do you want now? Let, let, let's eliminate the Republicans. What do you want to happen? He's acting like Biden's not in charge or something. Well, <laughs> the president can't make all the rules, actually. Actually, uh, no, he Trump, enforces Trump the rules. That. He enforces the rules. He enforces the rules, the rules that and Congress rules passes. on immigration. But we have rules on immigration that are not being enforced, period, full stop. But they're <laughs> classic. What I, would, what I want to see is a fully resourced border. And I think that's why moving these 1,500 troops to the border to help process in the paperwork that is going to ensue from asylum seekers is the right way to go. Jeannie Ives, what do you as a Republican want to happen? Well, I want what the border the sealed. I actually want the border sealed. I want the terrorists to, to start coming, stop coming in. I want the fentanyl and illegal drugs to stop coming in. I want I want legal How? immigration to come How? in. Well, I, the border wall was working just fine for a while. And then it, it was it was absolutely on its way to being completed, along with other measures. Uh, uh, you know, he's dramatically slowed down immigration, uh, illegal immigration under his tenure. Donald Trump did. And now it's complete lawlessness. I mean, you're literally replacing the population or at or adding to the population of like you could take like the the four smallest states and we've added that much in illegal immigrants in Biden's time frame. A Andrew, a qu Andrew, question to you: uh, Was the wall a success at any at any point? The wall is only as good as what is done on the back end of it here. I mean, we've seen multiple circumstances of people scaling unmonitored, unprotected, unguarded parts of the wall. And, I mean, it's almost a cottage industry of creating ladders and other systems. Not necessarily as prevalent in our area. We don't have a complete contiguous parts of it. There have been parts of it existing actually in our area for decades now. So in the parts where there aren't the coverage there, either due to terrain or other political issues, that has been an issue. A nearby city, uh, Sunland Park, New Mexico, that has a large mountainous rocky area. It was part of the feature where the We Build the Wall folks put up their section and segment of it. They're still having significant issues. So I'm very much on the end of technology and support resources, essentially staffing troops, manpower, however you want to put it, being the more critical components to this than any kind of solely physical infrastructure, because you only have that, you end up not having the back end you need. Yep. When I come back, uh, Andrew, I want to hear from you about the violence, the violence in El Paso and the violence in the surrounding counties. How bad is it? Is it as bad as Fox News suggests, or is it not? Back shortly from Chicago, I'm Bruce Dumont. Going back to school as a working adult doesn't mean you have to sacrifice a high-quality education. Purdue University, a top 10 public university, took its innovative thinking to a new level when it created Purdue University Global for working adults. Discover innovative, practical ways to earn your degree online and advance your career. Purdue Global has already awarded more than 1 million credits for prior learning, which means you can save nearly half the cost of your bachelor's. See how close you are to finishing your degree at purdueglobal.edu. That's purdueglobal.edu. 
At Jersey Mike's, you can elevate any sub by getting the juice. Red wine vinegar and an olive oil blend. It's how a Jersey Mike sub gets its exquisite zing and how bites get boosted. The juice adds a certain something extra, an exclamation on top of the freshly sliced meats and toppings, the kind of exclamation you can eat. Order Jersey Mike subs on our mobile app and get delivery right to your home or pick up from your nearest Jersey Mike sub location. Jersey Mike's, be a sub above. Matthew. Huh? Oh, sorry. It's okay. I just need you to listen to me. I know that a lot of times, Mom, it might not seem like I'm listening to you, but I am. I hear you. And what you say really does matter to me. I mean, let's be honest. No kid likes rules, but I get why we have them. I hear you, and I know it's because you care. All the talks we've had over the years, including what you've told me about not using alcohol and other drugs, they stick with me. And believe it or not, they really do make a difference, especially at times that matter most. Hey, want a drink? No thanks, I'm good. So thank you, Dad, for talking and preparing me for what's ahead. Thanks, Mom, for never giving up and always being my biggest fan. Thank you for letting me know what you expect so I can try to meet your expectations. Thank you for talking. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. It's a bully, but we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive, but our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org. Bruce Dumont back on Beyond the Beltway. A reminder, in our second hour, we're going to be joined by Mike Miller, economist for DePaul University, a frequent guest on this program. And he's going to take a look at some of the bank failures and also uh, uh, the uh, increase in uh, in the Fed rate and also uh, a variety of things about uh, the economy and some of the new numbers. Some of the new numbers actually weren't so bad Great. for President Biden. So uh, we'll talk about that because we've talked about when the numbers really looked lousy. So we'll let Mike uh, talk about financial-related political issues in the next hour of our program. Uh, let's go back to Andrew Polk, who is a talk show host for KTSM in El Paso, Texas, one of our oldest affiliates. And uh, Andrew, my question to you is, what about the violence within the city of El Paso and within the surrounding communities? How bad, if it's bad at all, how bad is it? When you talk about a level of violence, particularly associated with this, I'm, I'm aware of um, like an incident or two of like a pedestrian being hit, uh, one happening today, but I'm not aware of that. If it's totally connected to this, so in terms of violence, uh, here in the borderland region, as we refer to it, the El Paso uh, Southwest area, we're not quite sure what that means because 
I know that there have been some conversations, including from our mayor, Oscar Leeser, on uh, Fox News nationally in recent days, including talking about our city being destroyed. And I'm not going to call this not a bad situation. No one's really like, oh, this is a good thing and sunshine and rainbows. But the terms of like violence or of our city being destroyed could not be farther from the truth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And where does, uh, again, for those that are interested in this subject but have never heard anybody really focus on where the real problem is, where would you put El Paso with other crossing points uh, on the border uh, with uh, Texas and also even with Arizona? Where, 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 where would El Paso end up? In terms of like, well, are you, the, are you the are you the best at what you do? Are you the worst at what you do? Are there uh, other border towns that just are just totally, you know, at at wit's end? Are there some that are doing great jobs? I mean, we've heard we've heard that the 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 Biden administration has said we want people to come legally, and they supposedly there are legal places where people can cross the border and try to get into the country and and seek asylum are those cities and municipalities are they operating in a more efficient manner than el paso or others i think that the real divide and maybe the way you've seen this previously as the differences here is places where it's again is either urbanized or not el paso very urbanized area we can join basically with that sister if you look at it from a satellite map el paso texas and ciudad juarez in mexico are almost indistinguishable unless you're able to pick out the rio grande and that small dividing line they are pretty much one whole you know metropolis but when it comes to the actual crossing there are two differences that happen in our area there are the ports of entry we have several different ones in our area depending on if you're talking within the city limits or without uh... let's call them half a dozen just for brevity's sake and so there is the ability for people to come and present themselves for asylum claims at the ports of entry that's the cvp one app that the administration has been pushing and then there are the people presenting themselves or trying to cross outside of it the ones that are doing illegal crossings and then one of the changes that has been happening in the last let's call it few years has been them the ones doing illegal crossings not wanting to have no interaction with law enforcement rather finding and presenting themselves to it in order to make those asylum claims so we've seen in previous years such as you know eagle pass or del rio those were in you know kind of a sparsely populated areas smaller areas where there wasn't as much urbanization I mean, we're talking about two abutting cities like you would be seeing with like you know uh, dc and any of its suburbs i mean the river is about the only thing separating mm-hmm. them so there is the ability to do legal entry in order to make an asylum claim, but there is also the potential, certainly particularly in some of the outskirts area, or even within it, we've been seeing uh, federal law enforcement, CBP, uh, DHS, ICE, under the Department of Homeland Security overall, doing even some opening of the border fence in areas in order to essentially do a pressure-relieving action ahead of the end of Title 42 because of the large amount of people that are crossing the river and then going up to the border fence and basically waiting there for a response. I don't know how much Fox News you watch because you're a busy newsman yourself. Do you watch it much at all? I watch it particularly as it pertains to what's going on here. Okay. So it's here's, one of my here's my question. If you watch Fox News regularly, you will understand the significance of this issue. I mean, they, they have described with their reporting a, a horrific situation. By the way, I think their reporting at the border has been terrific. That's my own assessment especially when you compare it with the big three networks, including CNN, who basically don't even touch it at all. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you watched NBC, you wouldn't even know there was a problem down there. So my question to you as a, as a, as a viewer of media or a participant in media uh, and someone who covers it, you know, from your perspective, are they 
are they hyping the issue or do you think their description of the issue is is pretty fair when it comes to the humanitarian situation, because make no mistake, there is a humanitarian crisis that is going on with this. Whenever you get mm-hmm. thousands mm-hmm. of people that don't have resources, housing, food, shelter, I mean, any of these things, and it goes unaddressed, that is rife for growing, increasing, and very much larger problems. But when it comes to the idea of there being, I mean, within Mexico, it's no secret that the cartels and other things, and there have been illegal activities even beyond the crossing. I mentioned they've been going on with this ever since. I don't want to put a specific number on it, but for a while now we've been having more talk about uh, the stash houses that have been being discovered in our area, places where people, it's not just that uh, people present themselves at the border and are therefore dealt by U.S. authorities, but where the cartels will further keep them essentially in captivity, sometimes with uh, buildings padlocked from the outside in order to maybe extract further funds from them, do further trafficking for them. The cartels are definitely the major problem in pretty much all of this. So the focus on that is pretty much dead on. And we have been seeing other issues. Uh, it's uh, a different side of the same coin, I would argue, of what is uh, being done with vehicle trafficking and a situation that I call rabbiting is often referred to by officials as ditching, where a passenger vehicle, not like a large semi or anything, but like maybe a van or even an SUV, gets any kind of stoppage by law enforcement, like even just lights turning on and the person driving it ends up flooring it, and more often than not it seems like ends up either hitting someone or something into a ditch. A building actually happened right across the street from our station here uh, some months ago, and it turns out that the driver of it was a person paid to smuggle the people, and the people inside were all pretty much undocumented. And so, Andrew, we are, we are out of time. I want to thank you very much with all the information you provided. You've talked fast, but I think everyone has heard everything that you've said. Thank you for your continued uh, good work in covering what's happening at the border. We'll check with you in the next few weeks. And again, our thanks to Eric Cohn for joining us from uh, Acton Institute in Grand Rapids, Michigan this evening. Thank you very much, Eric. We will continue with Patrick Hanley and Jeannie Ives. I'm Bruce Dumont. Don't go away. Mike Miller is coming up. Going back to school as a working adult doesn't mean you have to sacrifice a high-quality education. Purdue University, a top 10 public university, took its innovative thinking to a new level when it created Purdue University Global for working adults. Discover innovative, practical ways to earn your degree online and advance your career. Purdue Global has already awarded more than 1 million credits for prior learning, which means you can save nearly half the cost of your bachelor's. See how close you are to finishing your degree at purdueglobal.edu. That's purdueglobal.edu. Goodbye, bench press. Adios, squat rack. Fare thee well, kettlebell. Hey, Kellen, need a spot? No, Jake from State Farm. I'm just saying goodbye to my pricey gym membership. What? Don't give up what you love. State Farm has options like insuring your home and ride with great rates on both. Nice. Hey, can I buy you a protein shake or a granola bar? For surprisingly great rates, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Call or go to statefarm.com for a quote today. At Jersey Mike's, you can elevate any sub by getting the juice. Red wine vinegar and an olive oil blend. It's how a Jersey Mike sub gets its exquisite zing and how bites get boosted. The juice adds a certain something extra, an exclamation on top of the freshly sliced meats and toppings, the kind of exclamation you can eat. Order Jersey Mike's subs on our mobile app and get delivery right to your home or pick up from your nearest Jersey Mike's sub location. Jersey Mike's, be a sub above. Let's be honest, the National Symphony may not be in his future, but he wanted to try violin. 
So you said yes because you love him. And if you love him that much, love him enough to make sure he's buckled up and in the back seat. Find out more about keeping your kids safe in your vehicle at NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Show them you love them. Keep them safe. Visit NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. If you're talking, they will hear you. We all want our kids to grow up safe and healthy. So we show them how. And we tell them with honest conversations that let them know what we expect. Not just one time, but every chance we get. That's especially important when it comes to alcohol and other drugs. Kids not only need to know the dangers and how to avoid them, they need to hear it often from you. And when it comes to pain medications, opioids, they need to know that they should never be taken without a prescription and never shared with friends or family. It's dangerous and illegal. So talk with your kids and guide them through the challenges of growing up safe and healthy. Because when you talk, they hear you. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samhsa.gov. So talk, hey, you can do it if you try. From Chicago, this is Beyond the Beltway. I'm Bruce Dumont. Thanks very much for joining us tonight. Patrick Hanley is our Democrat. He's in studio. Jeannie Ives is our Republican. She is in studio. They've had a good uh, knockdown drag out in hour number one, talking about a variety of issues. And we reach out now to the Pacific Northwest, where our old friend, old friend uh, Mike Miller, he's an economist with DePaul University. He resides there, but also continues to teach his courses. He's been with DePaul for over 38 years. And Mike, nice to have you with us on uh, Beyond the Beltway. And I'm, I want to begin with you picking up on our conversation of the last hour with, with Andrew Polk. From an economic position, um, how devastating is the situation at the southern border, what what is what's the best economic resolution to this issue? Well, there's the the problem is that so much of the pain is being felt by only one group, and that would be the border states: Arizona, California, most notably Texas. They have to bear all of the cost, and then the uh, the benefits, whatever little benefits there are, would accrue eventually as the people who are uh, immigrants would move to uh, other parts of the country. Um, on net, economists have found that immigration is positive, yeah. but it all a lot of it depends upon who comes across mm-hmm. the border. And the more that you have people who are either uneducated or at ages where they do not participate in the labor force, uh, the less beneficial those uh, particular immigrants are to the United States. So right now it's probably a wash, uh, a net, net gain, maybe a little bit, maybe a net loss a little bit, uh, but... Uh, it, it, it is a problem socially as well, though, because it's creating a lot of division in the country. Should the, uh, I, should, I, should the United a, States go government, Mike, should the United States government work out a plan where a variety of states welcome the new immigrants to the country so that it takes the pressure off the big cities that have gone, you know, they've been out there saying, well, we're sanctuary cities for a long time. Their mouth got ahead of reality. And, uh, you know, being an immigrant in New York City may have some economic options because there may be more jobs there. 
Are there things that the federal government could do to make other areas of the United States, whether it is Montana, the Dakotas, Kansas, you, you name them, New Mexico, are there things that they could be doing there to make those states um, more resilient and more responsive to uh, the need for more land and more space for these new Americans? Would be Americans. Yeah, you know, that would be the case. But what you're doing is you're assuming that the federal government has such knowledge, that the federal government has such wisdom that it knows exactly where the people would go. And see, I'm, I'm one who believed that the market does a much better job of that. And what I, I would see, I'm, I'm a very big supporter of immigration, mm -hmm. but my support of immigration is that the immigrants come through the front door mm -hmm. and that they not become a mm -hmm. charge to the United States, that they are people who can mm -hmm. take care of themselves and add to the country immediately. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, and I'd be willing to take many more legal immigrants as mm -hmm. opposed to any at all illegal immigrants and then the people themselves they are once they become let's say in america then they should have the freedom to be able to move as americans do mm -hmm. and they will go where the jobs are because they're not stupid people uh, they mm -hmm. respond to incentives and they weigh costs and benefits patrick do you do you think that uh, there's a role for the federal government at all in in trying to resolve this matter by relocating people is that a good idea or a bad idea it's interesting. I agree and disagree. I, I actually, I, I find myself agreeing with Mike on this one. I do think the market does a pretty good job allocating uh, labor to need. Um, but I would also say that in the undocumented <laughs> challenge, mm. uh, so much of it is that folks have been living in the shadows all over the country. And they are dispersing throughout the country. There are plenty of undocumented folks in New York City, yep. in Chicago. And what Democrats have been trying to do for decades now is create a federal pathway towards citizenship, right? A, a way to bring undocumented folks into the legal immigration system, which after which they'll have plenty more opportunities to pay taxes, to work, to travel, and, and to do all the sorts of good things. So if anything, the, uh, the market failure is folks not being able to avail themselves of legal mechanisms. Jeannie Ives, do you favor a path to citizenship for those people who are described as, as uh, you know, anchor babies or DACA's? I think you can be more sympathetic to DACA recipients. Those mm -hmm. are folks that, through no fault of their own, find that their parents brought them over here and, and crossed illegally. I mean, I think that there's a, a sympathy for them, especially because how do you return a child who, for you know, since age two, for example, mm -hmm. has become part of the American system, grew up with American friends, knows American culture and everything else, and then you just say, I'm sorry, but you're, you're, you're going to be out of here and they're, they're very productive they're they're, they're good but people. how do you but i think the lawlessness you... has to, to be a factor i mean i don't know that if you have a consenting adult who illegally intentionally and illegally violates our, our rural rules from the get-go mm -hmm. how do you then say you know i'm sorry we're just gonna offer you citizenship i think that there needs to be a discriminator there and uh, we, we haven't figured that out yet obviously does there have to be maybe an example made of these DACA members of society who are in the United States. First of all, the number of potential DACA people who've raised their hand and, and, and registered with the government is to, it's, a, it's a small number compared to a larger population. Yes, that is We true. have no idea of knowing how large this population is. So again, if there was a new rule, there may be three or four more millions well, of people I mean, would but my question yes. to you is mm -hmm. 
Is there a way for a political party, and there would be risk at it, to basically explain to your constituents, this is something in American history that we always have to, we've got to swallow hard. Mm. We may have to hold our nose and swallow hard, but by golly, this is medicine we have to take. And again, there will come a time when the Democrats will have to do the same well, thing. Well, so we've already done that. We already did that in Ronald Reagan's era, where we let everybody have a pathway to citizenship. We, we, did grant, we granted everybody amnesty at that point, and then we never did what we should have done, which was made sure that we followed a very legal process for Im immigration. And so if you Congress, came over here so illegally, sure you were, well, I mean, and so that's the point. And when you see lawlessness that is rampant in every other aspect of, of, of civilization right now, I mean, quite frankly, I mean, the crime situation that you see in big cities, the complete lawlessness of not prosecuting violent criminals, of letting them out on the street to reoffend. That isn't I mean, necessarily is, illegal yeah, so immigrants. I know it's great. not. I know it's not illegal immigrants. My good. point is it's lawlessness. And <laughs> that people are looking Wrong. at all of this as is a complete um, dismantling of every single law that we have on the books. And it just and, and they're just not willing to give from that standpoint. Patrick, that strikes me as a kind of wild and pointless exaggeration, Jeannie. Nope, I'm exactly sorry to right. say I don't even know what that it's means exactly when you when right. you come at when you come at an issue that is as complicated and sensitive as immigration and you just say, Well, we can't do it because of lawlessness. I don't really know what that means. Uh, I, I don't well, understand you know, it. Uh, Bruce, it's Mike. Patrick or, I'm sorry. Yeah, go ahead. Mike, a, go ahead. Yeah, from a from an economic standpoint, uh, being an economist, the one thing you do not want to send is what is called a moral hazard, yeah. and that's where you send to, for people to behave badly. Mm -hmm. And Ronald Reagan thought he had a deal, and Ronald Reagan, I believe, did it. Uh, uh, said, "I will make these people citizens," which I think we should do. But you have got to close the border. You have got to say anybody who tries to get across the border mm -hmm. illegally will be stopped immediately and sent back mm -hmm. immediately. And then people will get the idea that we do mean what we mean. Mike, we've got Otherwise, a pause. Going to we've got to a pause, and then we'll be back. I'm Bruce Dumont. Don't go away. Oh. Goodbye, bench press. Adios, squat rack. Fare thee well, kettlebell. Hey, Kellen, need a spot? No, Jake from State Farm. I'm just saying goodbye to my pricey gym membership. What? Don't give up what you love. State Farm has options like insuring your home and ride with great rates on both. Nice. Hey, can I buy you a protein shake or a granola bar? Or... For surprisingly great rates, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Call or go to statefarm.com for a quote today. Going back to school as a working adult doesn't mean you have to sacrifice a high-quality education. Purdue University, a top 10 public university, took its innovative thinking to a new level when it created Purdue University Global for working adults. Discover innovative, practical ways to earn your degree online and advance your career. Purdue Global has already awarded more than 1 million credits for prior learning, which means you can save nearly half the cost of your bachelor's. See how close you are to finishing your degree at purdueglobal.edu. That's purdueglobal.edu. This is the story of a very special woman. In a matter of seconds, she turned herself into a great mathematician or an entrepreneur. Her knowledge was limitless and still is. She could also make monsters disappear, especially those that lurked in the shadows under the bed. Once, this woman put back together a teenage girl's broken heart, which had been shattered in a thousand pieces just by giving her a bear hug. 
she masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources, at aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. When it comes to vaping, the truth can get clouded. So let's make it clear. Vaping is not safe for kids, teens, or young adults. It's just not. Because vaping can put microscopic particles into your lungs. And dangerous things like metals and volatile organic compounds into your body. And nicotine, the same highly addictive substance found in regular cigarettes. Nicotine can harm a person's brain development through their mid-20s. Affecting learning, memory, attention, and impulse control. And priming the brain for other addictions. Vaping products also come in kid-friendly flavors that can make them appealing to youth. And many kids also use other drugs, like marijuana, in vaping devices. With appealing flavors, high nicotine levels, and lots of promotion on social media. Many kids think vaping is harmless, but it's not. So talk to your kids about the risks of vaping. Because when you talk, they hear you. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. Rooster Mont back, and we continue, and uh, we, we, we have promoted that we were going to uh, talk about the economy, but I do want to take a telephone call uh, who uh, wants to address some of the issues we've talked about. So let's go to Joy, listening to us in Spokane, Washington. Go ahead, Joy, you're on the air. Um, hi. I had a question about worker permits. Um, I've, just, I've heard um, that now that there's some of these immigrants who've been in the country for years illegally, but they're reaching 50 or, or older, they want to go back to their countries, particularly Mexico. It's cheaper to live, and so now they're, they want to go back. Um, and so I was just wondering, what is the worker permit um, process now? How many can we have coming in? Would that really help if we had, um, uh, in terms of workers, a more porous um, border so people could come and go and not feel like they were trapped in the United States, so had Mm -hmm. to bring their families and their kids and their spouses? Joy, Um, let's let Mike Mike Miller tackle this one. Mike, go ahead. Okay. Well, I... I I don't think they're American or anybody in this country is trying to leave any time that they want. We do know, though, that uh, that workers throughout the world who want to be in the United States, uh, which is many, many people thrilled, uh, they do respond to the economic conditions both in their own countries, which are called push factors, and then there's something called a pull factor, which has to do with how things are here. And we know that during the Great Recession, for example, that the amount of of immigration, including from Mexico, dramatically declined because the job prospects for people quite dramatically reduced. And so that's Mm -hmm. the, the idea is that there should be some kind of connection between the legal immigration we have the needs we have in the labor market, and which would give you the probability that somebody who comes in will actually be successful in, in entering the labor force. 
companies all over the world do this. I Canada and Australia and New Zealand, they're they're very sensible about their about their borders. Mm -hmm. And for some reason, we've gone crazy. But there's mm -hmm. one there's one issue that we have that other advanced countries of the world do not is that we have on our border a country that is so less rich or so much poorer than we are. Almost no other developed country has the situation we do. If you look at Germany or, or, or France or whatever, uh, they don't have the situation where there's a country beside them that is so much poorer than they are, which would lead to a large number of immigrants who want to mm -hmm. come in. You don't see this happening. For example, I live nine miles from the Canadian border. You don't see a problem of Americans or Canadians trying to go back and forth to enter the country because their the countries are so much similar in terms of mm -hmm. their standard of living and their and the social situation and so forth. So we do have a unique situation, which when you try to clamp down on it, it makes us look mean and, and, and nasty and we're not, we're racist. And this is nonsense. Any country which had the situation we do with a poor country at its border would appear to be that way, especially if the people that are on the other side of the border are not the same color. Uh, if we could use that expression. Sure. I want to go, I want to, go to, to Patrick mm -hmm. because one of the things that the Democrats have done and spent years doing it is that anyone that stands up and takes a pro-American position, sometimes they are viewed as racist because they don't like Mexicans. It's always about race or ethnicity mm -hmm. in some way. Now, as a Democrat, would you acknowledge that sometimes the rhetoric of your party has gone overboard and that you only, you only look at people within your own party as having a positive thing to say and everyone in the Democratic Party or Republican Party is viewed as a racist when they just, they just disagree with you? I think, I think Mike made a perfectly good point just now, and I agree with a lot of what he's been saying on immigration. But, Bruce, to your broader point, I think both political parties have a really bad habit of exaggeration uh, and name-calling, and I think that happens across the board, and yes, Democrats do it too. Although I won't totally concede that oftentimes Republicans are pursuing policies out of demographic, crazy demographic fears about, about the, the reduction in the white population of the United States. And we know this from folks like Stephen Miller, right? Like, we know this from folks that have been in the Trump administration talking uh, out loud and in public about their fears of quote-unquote replacement by black and brown people. And when that happens, I think it's very important that we call that out as, as racism. Is, is, it, is it true that the Democratic Party, obviously in the last 10 years, has been perceived as pro-Mexican, maybe soft on immigration, and because of that, when it comes time for those people to vote, and it may not happen immediately, but when it comes time to register and those people voting, that more likely they would be voting for a Democrat. Do you mean Just Mexican Americans? Primarily Mexican Americans, but I, I could say that anybody coming through the you know the Central American corridor is is that because the fear of some white people is all these people that are coming, they're all brown and they're all going to vote Democrat, yeah. and Republicans are never going to win an election be it a national election or in key you know, states yeah. in the Southwest. Yeah. Is there some truth to that fear? No, I actually, and this is my controversial statement for the evening, I think if Republicans played their cards right, there are a number of socially conservative Latin Americans coming to this country yes. legally that are becoming Americans, that are voting, that there would be a, an appeal for a center-right 
Party in this country, and Republicans are totally dropping the well, ball on that. That absolutely did prove out because you saw, uh, you know, Texas border congressional seats flip to Republican from Democrats. So it is true. It just might take a couple generations uh, for that to prove out. So um, I think that the Democrat Party is very good at reaching out to that mm-hmm. to the to the minority populations. Quite frankly, better than the Republicans. Uh, that that is absolutely true. Are you uh, clinging also, to the white vote, though? Are you? Are no, you, that is a absolutely party, not are you true. Clinging no, to the that's white not vote. True. No, I, I don't. I don't think that we are clinging to the white vote. And in fact, uh, President Trump brought along uh, brought along a lot of um, uh, black Republican black voters as well. He had a, a you know more of a percentage of black vote than previous presidential candidates that were Republicans. So. I mean, we, we have a better message. We have, we have the winning message for America. And I think that, um, you know, we just have to do better outreach, quite frankly. Okay. Mike Miller, any comment? Um, can you hear me, Bruce? I seem yes, to I have can. frozen. No, oh, you, good. Okay. You look I'll fine. just look at my dumb face there. You're staying uh, very still, but we're hearing your voice. Yeah, good. Uh, the one thing, Patrick, I, I see is that so many... I believe on the left say that we Americans are uniquely mean and and, mm. and hateful when it comes to people coming over. They've mm. never been to a place like Japan, sure. and I just Bruce knows I was over in, in Bahrain. Right. They're very yeah. careful. You can't just become a Bahraini citizen. Yeah. They're ninety nine point nine percent Muslim, and yeah. they want to keep it that way. And and they're they're. 98 or whatever percent Arab, and they want to keep it that way, and they have every right to. That's what their country does. Americans are not unique this way. No. The question of, of illegal immigration, the question of immigration, is a touchy point throughout the world. And yeah. uh, we're not uniquely uh, evil and in spite I, of what the left tells us. Mike, I, I totally agree. That's such an important point. And if anything, we are uniquely generous. Uh, and that's one thing that you oh, see when you travel the, the world. The American absolutely. immigration policies are very gener- can be, when it's applied correctly with, with the rule of law, absolutely. a very generous program. Absolutely. Well, it's very generous when it's applied illegally, quite frankly. So well, that's we're the, just very yeah. generous. And it's costing us. And I think that's one thing that we have not talked about. And it's unfortunately did not get to talk with the reporter from El Paso about the actual hard cost that it's costing their local municipality yeah. to take care of this crisis because we know that it, the New York is famous for saying, hey, yeah. we cannot afford this anymore. Uh, Chicago, you got Lori Lightfoot complaining about, you, you know, the costs there. You've got the state legislature complaining about the non-citizen health care costs. And, and we have not talked about that. We have not drilled into actually what it is costing Americans um, in the interim. And you had a, you had a new piece of uh, legislation, federal legislation that you wanted to talk about during the break? Representative uh, Ramirez? Oh, well, we did. Uh, that was not federal legislation. That was okay. state legislation okay. when uh, Deli Ramirez, who is now the third district con- congresswoman from Illinois, she presented in 2020 legislation that would give non-citizen health care. And her estimated cost at that time was $2 million. This oh, year, God. three years later, it's $1.2 billion. No, it's, it's She's off by, a, you no, know, no. 500 times more. No, no, no. It and it's... It, She's five. It was five times off, not five hundred times. No, no, no. Yeah, it, no, no. Her, no. I'm sorry, but in her debate, her, when her deba- yeah. in her debate, her first estimate was two million dollars. Oh, you can read it for million. yourself. They exceeded that. They exceeded that in the first funny. month. Yeah, they exceeded that amount in the first month. She was wildly off. Nobody checked her numbers. Um, Pritzker just said, well, it's a member initiative. We're just going to go with it. And it is now expected to be $1.2 billion. And this has caused a fraction 
for the Democrats in this state because the Black Caucus is not on board with it at this point. And it's a it's a it's a extension to Medicare, basically, right? It offers it Medicare benefits Medicaid, to undocumented. Medicaid. I thought it was for 65 yeah, and older. Was, is nope. They, then right? they reduced it to 50 and to older, 49. and then they did it to 42 and older, and now they want to do it to 19 and older. And also, a lot of African Americans are getting very upset because they now perceive that the immigrants are getting the a, bigger, a bigger share of, of either city or federal largesse when yeah. they come. I mean, That's we, have, we, have, we have black uh, high schools and communities in the city of Chicago. They had rallies this past week because they don't like the idea, not in my backyard, they don't like the idea of some of these migrants coming from Texas uh, sleeping in their uh, in their schools, They're in, the, in their empty schools. That's they just exactly don't want it. Yeah. And because they, they're asking yeah, and, a question, we have poor black people in Chicago that aren't being serviced and treated in the same way as someone that's sneaking right. across the border. So this so is going to be a big yeah, issue, I think, in 2024. Yeah. We've got to pause. 1-800-723-8029. When we come back, Mike Miller, we're going to get your lips moving, and uh, we're going to be talking yep. about the economy. Don't go away. Lots coming up. One more half hour on Beyond the Beltway from coast to coast and border to border and around the world at beyondthebeltway.com. At Jersey Mike's, you can elevate any sub by getting the juice. Red wine vinegar and an olive oil blend. It's how a Jersey Mike sub gets its exquisite zing and how bites get boosted. The juice adds a certain something extra, an exclamation on top of the freshly sliced meats and toppings, the kind of exclamation you can eat. Order Jersey Mike subs on our mobile app and get delivery right to your home or pick up from your nearest Jersey Mike sub location. Jersey Mike's, be a sub above. What if the music stopped? If the familiar voices were silenced? If there were no breaking news updates? What if your companion and connection to your community came with a monthly fee? Don't worry. We're free local radio with you wherever you go. Celebrating 100 years and looking forward to the next 100. We are broadcasters. Text radio to 52886 and let Congress know you depend on your local TV and radio stations. This message furnished by the National Association of Broadcasters. I'll be here to hear what's on your mind. Kids want to share what's going on in their lives with the adults around them. Parents, grandparents teachers, coaches, and more. They want to know you're listening, and they want to listen to you. They want your input and guidance early and often on all kinds of topics. When it comes to a serious subject like underage drinking, they want to know your expectations, as well as how and why as a young person they should avoid alcohol. How you talk about it will change as your child grows, but the important thing is to talk about it. Not just once for an hour when you think the time is right, but in 60 one-minute conversations and more that are part of your everyday talks. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. One in three adults has pre-diabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy. Or you, your best man, your worst man. 
You, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has prediabetes, with early diagnosis, prediabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has prediabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. <gasps> Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or ugh, my karaoke enemy Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. Bruce Dumont back in Chicago. A moment uh, to offer condolences to the family of Newton Minow, uh, the longtime Chicago lawyer who was the chairman of the FCC during the Kennedy administration, the man who talked about television as a vast wasteland and, again, uh, was very much involved in planning the very first presidential debate uh, between John Kennedy and Richard Nixon, which helped uh, John Kennedy get elected. And he passed away uh, yesterday uh, in the city of Chicago and, again, a uh, uh, longtime friend. And uh, so he will be missed, but he had a long, very vigorous life. Mike Miller, you're going to have a long, vigorous life. We understand that your microphone and your mouth are now working because yes, in the last are. segment, I thought you were Edgar Bergen. I thought you were throwing <laughs> your voice to Charlie McCarthy, but anyway. Yeah, uh, I actually know what that means. That shows my yes, age. It's, just, it's probably about three of us that know what that means. Uh, yeah. Let's take a look at the, the numbers out of the government uh, last week and, and get your assessment of them. The April jobs report showed that 250,000 jobs were added, and that's 70,000 more than were expected. And the unemployment rate is down to 3.4%. That looks like good news for the Biden administration, is it? It's excellent news, Bruce. Uh, you know, uh, first time I was on the show 101 episodes ago, I told you I'm an economist first and I'm a Republican second. And kudos to the, to the country. It's not the Biden administration, it's the country. We have a, a phenomenal labor uh, situation. 253,000 jobs is a great amount of creation of jobs for people who want to you know, start go back to work. They're 16, 17, 18 years old, or they're retired and want to go back in. Unemployment at 3.4 is the lowest rate. I double-checked on Fred on the, uh, the database. It's the lowest rate since 1969. Uh, so there's no doubt that the uh, labor now part of this is, you know, we look at the participation rate it's it's only 62% compared to what you know 60 some percent 65 uh, earlier say in 2000 but that issue is like 80% of it is explained by people Bruce like you and me the baby boomers there's just a lot of us and a lot of us are retiring and not going back into the labor force and that is what allows us almost to have mm -hmm. a, a labor situation where mm -hmm. the economy can be relatively weak. I mean, gross domestic product is barely moving. Mm -hmm. Production is barely moving. But the labor market is very strong. So uh, this is good information. You the know, one thing that defines a person is a job. Yeah. And I think right. you have an economy that can create jobs. Non-farm payroll is where you create jobs for people who can't create their own jobs. This, yes. is, this excludes self-employed. 
-hmm. And when you have an economy that creates jobs for people who can't create their own job, you have an economy that is uh, shooting on all cylinders. It's firing on all cylinders. The so this is, is well. a message. This is a message that the Democrats should be able to pound home. That's exactly. Yeah, so I mean, just, if, if all the they, you know, they could take an ad and just quote you. I mean, that looks like a pretty good uh, <laughs> yeah, ad right. for the Democrats. That's right. And Mike, I was going to say, what you did is you asked me about the labor market, and when I yeah. described the labor market, I think I'm doing a very fair job. Mm -hmm. But I also know, for example, that you know, at, at the university, uh, uh, we haven't had very big raises because you know, at many universities there are enrollment mm -hmm. problems and so forth. Mm -hmm. My real income is down something like 11% in the past two mm -hmm. and a half years. And that really hurts. Right. I may have a job, but I don't have as much money to go to the store and buy yeah. what I want to buy. And yeah. you may that's be looking for a second that's job. Bug, that's right. And that's the bug, of, that's the bug that yeah. if it isn't settled by the time Mr. Biden runs for president again, that's what will burn him. Uh, the, wanna... the inflation and, uh, and the Fed can only do so much. Yep. So, One of the things that is the is the top focus of what's happening in Washington allegedly is the the battle and the the annual debate over the debt ceiling the republicans have passed legislation which reduced spending and addresses of the debt ceiling the democrats are standing fast saying they don't want to do any changes in in reduction of uh, of of expenses uh but this this may come to to a head, and I want to get your reaction because Janet Yellen has been all over the uh, the news no, today, and she's been talking about right. it. And by the way, uh, this is this is the sort of the dire warning that is coming out of the administration, and it's if the United States defaults on debts, the stock market will collapse, up to eight million jobs will be lost, no social security checks. For nearly 50 million seniors, that'll tick me off, and the troops will not be paid. Now, of all of those dire warnings, how many of them are real, and do they have to be that uh, dire? Zero. They don't have to be quite. You don't have to. You don't spend no send no money to seniors. You would spend less money to seniors. I don't think any of that's going to happen because right. I think they will settle this issue. Yeah. Let me look at it from two perspectives, and you'll think I'm I'm playing both sides of the of the road, and I kind of am. Mm -hmm. I'm against this whole idea of having to re up the the debt limit all the time. We're only one of two countries in the Western world that does this. I think it's really stupid. Mm -hmm. I think there should be a much easier way. We've been doing it since 1920, and it was done for political reasons. This is a, a dumb thing to do. However, from the, pers from the perspective of, of what the Republicans are arguing, I took a quick look at some data. Federal receipts as a gross domestic product mm -hmm. are 19.2%. That is the highest in the past 23 years. We have plenty of revenue coming in. That's right. Now, let's look at spending outlays of the federal government, 24.6% of GDP. That, if you go back pre-pandemic, that is the highest amount percent of GDP spending since World War II. Mm -hmm. this, you have an economy that has a labor market as strong as ours, and for some reason, the, 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 the government is spending an enormous quantity of money. And I think that all the Republicans are simply saying here is, ladies and gentlemen, we've got to get this under control, because one last piece here, the gross private, the gross federal debt as a percent of GDP is 121% of GDP. 
It is even higher than it was at the end of World War II, which was 119%. And it has doubled since 2005. So I think the Republicans are perfectly reasonable to say to Mr. Biden, I'll give you this increase, but you have got to do something to get the spending under control because the spending is, when you have post-pandemic spending that is equal to pandemic spending, you have a crisis. This is craziness. They've got to get back to something more sensible. Mike, I want, I want, to, I want to let uh, Jeannie and, uh, and, and, and Patrick weigh in on this. Sure. Jeannie, we'll start with you uh, from a, as a sure. Republican perspective. I mean, do, do people talk about the debt ceiling in the precincts? No, not at all. They don't understand it. Um, but, uh, it, you know, it's easy to message that, oh, the Republicans are going to create default when actually it's Joe Biden that will create default. The Republicans did their job this time. They put together a really sensible uh, legislation that essentially says, you know, we'll raise the debt ceiling, but in exchange, we want some spending cuts. And it was, it, it's a very reasonable ask for them to do. They've done their job. You've got 43 senators that uh, Republicans have said, we support the Republican bill. So now it's really Joe Biden's turn to negotiate with them. We'll Patrick, see what he not, does. Not Patrick. even all the Republican senators back this crazy approach, playing chicken with the full faith and credit of the U.S. government. Republican extremists in the Congress are holding a loaded gun to the U.S. government uh, by threatening them that they're going to tank U.S. credit if we don't pass their draconian spending cuts. And I think that's a ridiculous way. Do to we ever resolve this? Do we ever resolve draconian. this, Patrick? I mean, in, in your view, this has been going on, Mike, since 1920. Uh, we, we get to the, yeah. the end here. We get to the debate over the debt ceiling. It happens all the time. It's yes. an annual yeah, it's thing. It's like always the been Easter resolved. egg it, roll. Yeah. My yeah. question, do, you, yeah. do we ever resolve it? Listen, Does some yeah. party, do members of Congress ever swallow hard and say, yeah. you know what, we've got to cut, yeah. cut, cut before we raise the debt ceiling? I would, I would actually think about it a different way. I think Mike is exactly right. The debt ceiling is a crazy concept, and we need to get rid of the debt yeah, ceiling I, as an idea. Mm -hmm. um, Mike, made, you made an interesting point. Federal receipts is a, is a proportion of GDP, and you said I think we're at 22% is what you said? 24%. But, but when you look yeah. at the U.K., when you look at Canada, when you look at France, other developed Western countries, they're looking at 35%, 40%. Oh, I understand. So I, actually, I do think that there's you know. room there. <laughs> Let them finish, Mike. But you know how they do that. They yeah, of course. You know they how they do that. They, they raise they taxes on the wealthy. They raise taxes on the wealthy. They raise taxes on the middle class. The That's one right. thing we will not do is we will not raise taxes on the middle class. The average person, like in Ireland and so forth, you make what would be an average wage here in the United States where you might pay 15% federal income tax. They will be paying 45 or 50% tax. There's just no way that we that Americans will find a way to avoid the tax, not evade, avoid the tax if you try to tax them more. There, this is not a spending problem. This is not a, a, a revenue problem. This is a spending problem. But I would say and, that there's and, room. And, there's room and it, there's broad popular support for this to raise taxes on the richest Americans. Right. Three Americans. There you go own, there three already, Americans they already pay the preponderance Americans, of these. They already pay. We, Patrick, they did a study trying to figure out yes. what country has the most progressive taxation where you would take about what percent of the total taxes are paid by, say, the rich or the poor or whatever. The United States has the most uh, progressive that's right. but my, income taxation that, process in no, the entire that's right. world. Hold on. Let me respond. That's only because the richest Americans are so unbelievably wealthy compared to poor Americans. That's due to inequality, not necessarily due to a well, progressive tax system. Mike, a question oh, no, to you. Mike, a question to you is, yes. from the sure. from the federal government's perspective, 
what is rich? Can you define what rich is? Well, that would be, uh, the simplest way is that poor would be the bottom 20% of all uh, household incomes, and the rich would be the top 20%. And how much, what, 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 what are we talking about? What are we talking about? Say that again, like I'm sorry. Or somewhere around $150,000, $140,000 is would be considered rich. Now, you know, for a lot of people, when inflation is running this high, it really isn't. And if you live in cities which are very expensive, that's not a lot of money. When um, we come back, we got to pause, Mike. When we come back, I want you to tell us who is the other country that has a debt ceiling. I'm Bruce Dumont. Don't go away. At Jersey Mike's, you can elevate any sub by getting the juice. Red wine, vinegar, and an olive oil blend. It's how a Jersey Mike's sub gets its exquisite zing and how bites get boosted. The juice adds a certain something extra, an exclamation on top of the freshly sliced meats and toppings, a kind of exclamation you can eat. Order Jersey Mike's subs on our mobile app and get delivery right to your home or pick up from your nearest Jersey Mike's sub location. Jersey Mike's, be a sub above. I think it's just vapor. Vaping is safer than smoking, isn't it? There's really not even that much nicotine in them, right? One vape pot has as much nicotine as one pack of cigarettes. My kid? My kid kid knows it's dangerous. 5.4 million American kids vape, and most think it's harmless. Get your head out of the cloud. Talk to your kid about vaping. Visit talkaboutvaping.org. That's talkaboutvaping.org. Brought to you by the American Lung Association and the Ad Council. Matthew. Oh, oh, sorry. It's okay. I just need you to listen to me. I know that a lot of times, Mom, it might not seem like I'm listening to you, but I am. I hear you. And what you say really does matter to me. I mean, let's be honest. No kid likes rules, but I get why we have them. I hear you, and I know it's because you care. All the talks we've had over the years, including what you've told me about not using alcohol and other drugs, they stick with me. And believe it or not, they really do make a difference, especially at times that matter most. Hey, want a drink? No thanks, I'm good. So thank you, Dad, for talking and preparing me for what's ahead. Thanks, Mom, for never giving up and always being my biggest fan. Thank you for letting me know what you expect so I can try to meet your expectations. Thank you for talking. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. It's a bully, but we aren't afraid of a fight. It's elusive, but our focus never fades. It's deadly, but we were born to defeat cancer. You may not have heard of us, but our work has helped millions impacted by cancer. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. We are leaders in advancing breakthroughs in immunotherapy, genomics, and personalized medicine. This research saves lives. After 65 years of fighting blood cancers, we've arrived at a game-changing belief. The cures for cancer are in our blood. The drugs and treatments we've developed for blood cancers have helped people affected by many different types of cancers. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Beating cancer is in our blood. Learn more at LLS.org.
Bruce Dumont back with our last segment. A reminder that next Sunday night, we've got a very special guest. Uh, Dan Proft is going to join us live on May 14th. He is a uh, well-known talk show host here at WIND AM 560 in Chicago. He also uh, used to have a national show, and he's he's known nationally as a Republican operative, and uh, uh, it's been a long time. He used to be a regular on this program before he got his own show, and uh, he'll be back uh, making a return visit, so we will look forward to that. I know a lot of his fans will be very, very interested. One, one last figure that we did not mention uh, with you, Mike Miller, is the... Uh, the, the, the debt uh, or the in increase in the uh, interest, the, the Fed mm -hmm. has raised the interest rates 0.25%, uh, uh, and the current lending rate is 8.25%. Uh, mm -hmm. What do you make of uh, the decision of the Federal Reserve? Well, if I were a voting member, I probably would not have voted to raise one this time. There was no doubt that the only tool that the Fed has to try to slow down overall spending is uh, the interest rate. What we have here, the, the a couple things are coming together at one time, and they would be all negative for the future of the economy. Uh, first, we have these interest rates that the Fed is setting. Secondly, the Fed is reducing the size of its portfolio, which means mm -hmm. it is taking money, in a sense, out of the economy, mm -hmm. uh, liquidity out of the economy. So we have a reduction in liquidity. And there is some growing uh, hesitancy for banks to lend to people and to firms. Mm -hmm. And so what we're going to see then is a cutback in the amount of lending that's actually going on. All three of these things would point towards a slowing economy in the future. I'm hopeful uh, that we can actually get through this without an official recession. I'm hopeful. Uh, I, my hope sometimes comes and goes um, for the sake of the American people. I'm not like Bill Maher. Well, let's hope we have a, a recession to get rid of Trump, or I would hope to get rid of uh, Mr. <laughs> Biden with a recession. I don't wish a recession on any American. What I would it mean? How would, you, how would you define it, Mike? How would you define a, define a recession? What? Well, uh, uh, see that we had that big debate a couple of a year ago, where the mm -hmm. GDP fell for two consecutive quarters, which up until the late 1990s was kind of the official definition used by a group called the National Bureau of Economic Research Dating Committee, Business Cycle Dating Committee. Uh, the the dating committee now takes a much more nuanced and broad-based evaluation. It isn't just GDP. They look at income earned from work. They look at uh, uh, sales. They look at employment and so mm -hmm. forth, So and industrial production. And so before you can declare a recession occurs, you've got to look at these this collection of data, not just gross domestic product. Uh, that was a mistake last year for the Republicans to, to harp on the fact that it was, yeah. that it was an official recession. Uh, it, it was not a recession. You can't have a recession when you have full employment, which we had at the time. I want to ask you, uh, a, so, I want to ask you a political question. You are a sure. long, long way from the Beltway. You're up in Bellingham, Washington, and my question to you sure. is, when you're going to the local grocer or dr driving to a movie theater, uh, does anybody talk about Hunter Biden? No. The people I'd, um, I'd, in my family, because it turned out, and it, yeah. I didn't make it happen this way, that we're all, we all tend to be conservative. I'm one of five brothers and sisters, and all five of us turned out to be conservative. So we do, we talk about it. But when I hear other people, no, this is, they have other concerns. And the big concern, of course, is the price of things. Mm -hmm. It is the Sorry. inflation is what is eating away at people. Jeannie Ives, let me ask you yes. the question. When mm -hmm. you are working your precincts and walking with your neighbors and going to the grocery store, does anybody talk about Hunter Biden? 
No, I would say my Republican colleagues talk about Hunter Biden, but I think it's partly because the mainstream media doesn't talk about Hunter Biden. So it's not that message is not getting out there. And it's going to be an incumbent upon Republicans to really bring to the forefront. I mean, I think it's pretty alarming that uh, Comer had on said on his show today that, look, don't do anything. Uh, don't indict Hunter Biden for some sort of smaller crime like, you know, getting a gun illegally, which, you know, Democrats don't like that. Um, yeah, yeah, which he did. They, they, he said, don't do anything before Wednesday because we have a whistleblower and we will prove to we've gotten all the bank records. And I'm telling he's telling us right now that the, not just Hunter Biden, but all sorts of members of the Biden family, including Joe himself, have been doing influence peddling and getting, you know, millions of dollars from foreign entities to do it. He says, we're going to prove that on Wednesday. Now, I think this is an alarming story. How many, how many, how many, how many whistleblowers before. are they talking about? There's because one there was, there was the whistleblower. There was the whistleblower who got publicity this past week who said that as Vice President Joe Biden, he has evidence that Joe Biden was involved in uh, some uh, questionable illegal corrupt activity. Is that the whistleblower? Or that is one? it. But they say that he's one credible whistleblower. So, I mean, look, all you took was one whistleblower on Trump's call to Zelensky to then start a whole impeachment process. So, I mean, I guess it just takes one to some degree. Don't we have the call that, as well? That, <laughs> yeah, well, we're going to have the bank records. Actually, we're going to have the bank records evidence. as well. They're okay. going to bring yeah. it all out. So I think that this the is important. The question is that, that, that this issue, which was an issue in 2020 wasn't much of an issue in 2022 but in 2020 uh it looked like it was going to be an issue a new york post originated issue which basically <laughs> got spiked didn't go anywhere yes right and it was hammered yeah. shut because mm -hmm. we listened to the intelligence community and their past leaders well th that's another thing that uh, i really did want to comment on because these are 51 liars these are 51 former intelligence officers that I think is really, it's traitorous what they did. You had Michael Morell, who was the former Obama deputy CIA director, who admitted in, open, in testimony that, that actually he was enticed by Anthony Blinken to write this letter. And, and then he got 51 intel officers to sign this letter right before the election. And it was a complete lie. They all called Hunter Biden's laptop Russian disinformation. And it was a complete lie. Yeah. See, for, for, I wanted to add one thing, ahead, Bruce, to my, from my mind. It's not Hunter Biden himself. Uh, I, I feel bad. He's, he's a Jamoke and he has all this. He, uh, most of the trouble is his own trouble. What so angers me and my Republican friends is exactly what Jeannie said. 15 seconds, Mike. Tony Bobolinsky. What about yep. that? This could be the connection to the big guy. And that's what I hope. I almost hope it's not because I what would the country go through if, okay. if, if he has to be impeached? We've got to stop right there. Mike Miller, thank you very much for joining us from DePaul University, longtime economist. Jeannie Ives, Illinois Republican conservative leader, former uh, lawmaker and ran for governor in the great state of Illinois. And Patrick Hanley, Democratic businessman. Thank you very much. Congratulations. You're about to be a dad. Congratulations. Our thanks to Fritz Goldman. Good night from Chicago. Going back to school as a working adult doesn't mean you have to sacrifice a high-quality education. Purdue University, a top 10 public university, took its innovative thinking to a new level when it created Purdue University Global for working adults. Discover innovative, practical ways to earn your degree online and advance your career. 
Purdue Global has already awarded more than 1 million credits for prior learning, which means you can save nearly half the cost of your bachelor's. See how close you are to finishing your degree at purdueglobal.edu. That's purdueglobal.edu. Uh, goodbye, bench press. Adios, squat rack. Fare thee well, kettlebell. Hey, Kellen, need a spot? No, Jake from State Farm. I'm just saying goodbye to my pricey gym membership. What? Don't give up what you love. State Farm has options like insuring your home and ride with great rates on both. Nice. Hey, can I buy you a protein shake or a granola bar? Or... For surprisingly great rates, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Call or go to statefarm.com for a quote today. Why was the basketball court all wet? Because the players kept dribbling on it. The dad joke. Corny, groan-worthy. But also, one of the simplest ways to share a moment with your kids. What did the buffalo say when he dropped his son off for school? Bye, son. <laughs> so take a moment to make your kid laugh, because dad jokes rule. Make your kid laugh today. Go to fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. At Jersey Mike's, you can elevate any sub by getting the juice. Red wine vinegar and an olive oil blend. It's how a Jersey Mike sub gets its exquisite zing and how bites get boosted. The juice adds a certain something extra, an exclamation on top of the freshly sliced meats and toppings, the kind of exclamation you can eat. Order Jersey Mike subs on our mobile app and get delivery right to your home or pick up from your nearest Jersey Mike sub location. Jersey Mike's, be a sub above. If you talk to me, we'll hear you. We all want our kids to grow up safe and healthy. So we show them how, and we tell them with honest conversations that let them know what we expect. Not just one time, but every chance we get. That's especially important when it comes to alcohol and other drugs. Kids not only need to know the dangers and how to avoid them, they need to hear it often from you. And when it comes to pain medications, opioids, they need to know that they should never be taken without a prescription and never shared with friends or family. It's dangerous and illegal. So talk with your kids and guide them through the challenges of growing up safe and healthy. Because when you talk, they hear you. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. So